At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today welcome to this free episode of dunk Don. nate and danny are going to go over lakers nuggets game three and do their 76ers and warriors off-season previews this is just a sample of the type of content you can get at dunk Don, the in-depth game coverage the large picture look-aheads at each team's off-season this is just the start they're going to chronicle every team's off-season so if you want to get all that content through the rest of the playoffs into the summer as they cover the deals that have yet to happen and get into team situations, see what their possibilities are. Then, of course, as the summer gets really going, the deals that actually happen. You want all that coverage? Subscribe to Dunked On Prime at dunkedon.supportingcast.fm. Dunkedon.supportingcast.fm. Well, in a lot of ways, everything went right for the LA Lakers tonight. The whistles were going their way in the third quarter. They took a lot more free throws than Denver. They got 28 shots at the rim to Denver's 15. Denver struggled in the paint, 6 of 18. And even on a night when not much was going right for Denver, they managed to, to persevere and win this one, taking what in theory was the Lakers' best and final shot to win it rather comfortably in the end, 119-108. There is a fair amount to unravel in this contest, but in some ways I think of it a little bit like Game 2 of the East Finals, which we discussed, where the, there isn't as much of a dominant like overall storyline, but there are some important important elements of this. And for me... Okay, can I say one? overall storyline sure the denver nuggets are very good at shooting the basketball and the la lakers are not true and the game where denver had their worst shooting game um on shots outside the paint law murray did a stat on this um that the worst game for denver was game two but the lakers were even worse so they were 35.6 percent in that one whereas they've been 45 and 55 in the other two 55 in game one where they couldn't miss anything and then 45 tonight and that gives a huge margin for error to the Denver Nuggets. And it's been a, a fascinating series in terms of like the guys who can and cannot stay on the floor. And like we'll talk about Aaron Gordon and D'Angelo Russell inevitably. And for Denver, like there haven't been as many stretches as I thought like was like if, if you're like, OK, they're going to be up three on the series. It's going to be like the battle stations fully operational, all that type of stuff like full bore. And Jamal Murray was that in the first half of this game, you know, 30 points, 13 to 20 from the field, maybe. He was 13 of his first 15, making everything, some tough shots, some easy ones too. And during that stretch, Jokic largely like kind of stepped back on it. He had five points in the first half, two of eight from the field, missed a lot of twos. And then Jamal Murray was pretty dang cold the rest of the game. In the second half, he shot two of nine overall, had five well, assists. The crazy stat on that was that Murray made 13 of his first 15 and then went. He then two, proceeded to miss ten straight. Yeah. Uh, uh, but other guys, uh, 
stepped up, but I, I, like, I don't know. Sorry, I I, yeah. I broke in there, but yeah, it, of course, yeah. like his first half is a, a huge part of the story. Again, he's been over thirty in every game. And then Jokic had a pretty weak first half, and then he dealt with foul trouble. Only played four and a half minutes of the third quarter, which ended up being that post Jokic time was decisive. And then Jokic played the entire fourth, fifteen points, two rebounds, two assists, plus nine as the lake as the Nuggets put their close to finishing touches on this series yeah i think this uh, maybe the best way to go through this a little bit is chronologically and the lakers we've seen them in basically every game they've played in the actual playoffs get off to a good start at home and they were not able to do that in this game the nuggets basically had a a 10 point lead before they could yank d'angelo russell off the floor (laughs) and so that that to me was a big theme and it took place in the second half as well that darvin ham started russell all right that's forgivable to me at home i think he's largely been better at home their offense wasn't very good last game but i think the bigger problem with Russell, and you could point to the fact that his offense was bad. He was one of eight, one of six from three on good looks, which he just, I mean, he think he was 0 for three on corner threes, I want to say. Like all of them were pretty good looks that you just, he needs to knock those down to have three points on one of eight. It was just a disaster, negative 12, three turnovers. And the defensive component wasn't amazing. Like there were a few times early where Murray was able to get started by getting him screened on and then running pick and roll with Jokic and they got good stuff out of that. But the other, the bigger problem I found was was just that it messed up their matchups a lot, particularly because they also weren't willing to start off with LeBron guarding Nikola Jokic. I thought that worked great last game, but I think they felt like he was too tired. Also, I think that second ankle sprain that he got in the last game, I think he wasn't quite at the same level that he was in that game too when he was just unbelievable defensively. So if you're going to start Russell rather than Hachimura, now you're left with Anthony Davis having to guard Jokic to start. And that basically every moment that Anthony Davis has guarded Jokic, they've gotten completely smoked. And so little of it is about, oh, Nikola Jokic, yeah, he's just going to score on AD whenever he wants to. It has nothing to do with that. Like, I think it just if AD is going to guard in the post, that's fine. Like, I, you know, if Jokic wants to go at AD in the post, if that's all it was, like, I think the Lakers might be okay with that. But of course, that's not all it is. Like, there are going to be double teams there, maybe overhelping, in fact. But there's also the pick and roll game. And then there's also the fact that if Anthony Davis is guarding Jokic in the main action, there's no Anthony Davis behind him. LeBron was not able to provide that level of room protection. Few can, uh, maybe nobody can. So it's all the ancillary stuff that keeping Davis off of Jokic prevents right like they don't get any back cuts really as if Davis is on Aaron Gordon who again was pretty terrible spacing out I thought and didn't close the game which we'll talk about more so you take away the back cuts offensive rebounds like you have number one you're not giving up nearly as many layups because they're just not even willing to challenge AD those are the easiest place to offensive rebound AD's not like getting stuck having to box out Jokic and, and so he can rebound out of his area and he's just generally more in position. There's no need for him to stick to Jokic as someone like, say, Murray drives. And so you you clean up the offensive glass as well. And then, of course, anytime somebody tries to drive or even Jokic posting up, like you know that you can't just put a guy in the goal if you're Nikola Jokic because AD is going to come over there and help. So it's just... 
it knocks out so many things. It's not about, oh, AD can't guard Jokic. And then, of course, he also, I, I would also say that the Nuggets pick and roll game is way better when AD is not involved in it because AD is still waiting there at, at the rim. And now you can just stick, to, Hashimura can stick to Jokic and then Murray, even if he gets free, which he did some, he's not going to be able to get all the way for the rim for a layup. So there are just so many reasons why that was a better strategy that I still don't think the Nuggets ever solved. But they're going to win this series without having solved it, in part because the Lakers just didn't go to it enough and at the start of the first and the start of the third with Russell on the floor and not being willing to put James on Jokic they also started Vanderbilt as well which you know you can I think you can question at this point too but they started with they felt they were too small with D'Lo and with Schroeder out there so they couldn't do that either but I think the ultimate lesson then is the Nuggets and their personnel were able to render enough of what the Lakers wanted to do inoperable that they were still in command in this series even if the Lakers did find this one strategy that worked pretty well that's fair and the also just the the nature of like you can turn to other people and I do think that Darvin Ham could have moved away from D'Angelo Russell more thoroughly and he, he had to do it at the start of the of the second like that's when it was just ridiculous because yeah things had gone so much better I mean Russell they were out and, and and not all of this goes on Russell's shoulders, but they were outscored by 12 points when Russell was on the floor and they were plus nine when he sat, which is pretty striking. And then Russell comes out in the third, comes out in the third quarter and they're about even, but that wasn't enough to kind of make up the gap. And then with Russell, it it's always been this story and it's you and I have been at different points, you know, we've we've been consistent on Russell, but other people have moved around us. And the question for me has always been, is he good enough on offense to make up for it on defense? And part of what was in- interesting but also awkward about the Lakers' fit is that he's put in a better situation to succeed. Russell can be an adept off-ball player, and he I think he's overstripped, overtaxed a little bit as the like dominant offensive force. Like The pick-and-roll engine isn't really his best role. However, that also means... And this is, I think, where the Lakers should have ended up if they, you know, other than the personal dynamics, which we can maybe discuss with even if you want LeBron to have the ball in his hands less and tired and and everything like that. Reasonable, though, LeBron had 12 assists and only two turnovers in game three. The less you lean on Russell, the less practical it is to have him on the floor because a higher portion of what he's of what he has to do is defense. And he's still very bad at that. We, you know, even after Bruce brown said everything you did have a russell had a block on brown in game two i didn't think that that russell was like even actively bad defensively he had a couple of bad possessions but not nearly as egregious as the denver game no no it wasn't and and the lakers transition defense overall was just much better and that that helped russell because he wasn't kind of just stuck out on an island bending in transition but but the practical challenge for the lakers and this is a a good problem for them to have is that some of their other guys have stepped up and are doing better. So like Austin Reeves can create more. He take he, he doesn't always add more, but he takes a lot less off. And when you have LeBron and AD, you can work with that. And at times, Schroeder works well. At times, Rui Hachimura works well. At times, Lonnie Walker works well, as of course he did in game four against the Warriors. And I thought he played, I thought he played reasonably well in his 19 minutes in game three. And so you have all these different forces in play. And there's also the factor that in this specific matchup against this specific opponent, it's a hard series for D'Angelo Russell, but you have to wait these things out. He is a pending unrestricted for agent. You in many ways committed to this path to 
at least some degree when you traded for him, when you traded for him and all these other players who had 2023 20, elements of their contracts that you it was better to stay over the cap. They are not bound by that, but it is more logical based on the moves that Rob Polinka made, which overall worked out extremely well. So per Dave McMenamin's reporting, there's this idea that the Lakers need to keep Russell engaged, even though this is a bad series for him. And it's an unen- it's an unenviable decision for Darvin Ham, for sure. And he's not the person negotiating the next contract with D'Lo anyway. He's not the person who traded for him, neither. But LeBron is 38 years old, and you know Denver wins the first two games. They're in a good place in the series. At a certain point, you need to do what's right for the team, and Russell being out there was a problem. And if he's not willing to accept that, at a certain point, you have to be able to deal with that. Yeah, one of the, the other things you can kind of point to is- you know murray was just going crazy right like he's hitting all these mid-rangers then he's banging threes in the second quarter and the nuggets i thought they really were at their best when the lakers tried to go to the strategy that i think they were believing would work the best for them and they had a lineup i think it was walker reeves hachimura lebron ad and the nuggets actually carved that up they tried to go to switching the murray and Jokic actions and then also having ad still behind the play and the nuggets carved that out the hachimura in particular really struggled with the communication and the nuggets were doing a great job of attacking the mesh point of that screen whether it was going into the body of the guy who is switching getting two on the ball even though they didn't want it getting Jokic slipping to the rim there was murray getting ad onto him when because ad was also involved in in switching everything when they get would get gordon or jeff green in, involved and then murray got ad onto him fakes towards the screen then as soon as ad is about to switch he goes back the other way gets a an open three in his face so there are a lot of plays where they got like quick slips they caused miscommunications Jokic was throwing great passes and they made the lakers get out of that strategy that wasn't going to work particularly not with murray playing the way that he was so then they gotta they gotta go back to dennis Schroeder. like okay all right i, I guess like is this gonna work like uh, murray did beat him up uh, earlier in the series Schroeder was unbelievable his off ball defense on murray all these little like zoom actions that they run murray setting a back screen they had something for that too where they had somebody come off the weak side corner to take away gordon off that murray back screen and then murray would pop out like Schroeder is just bumping him every single time he's doing an amazing job like i just as we were doing the live show i'm just locked in on watching this battle between murray and Schroeder off the ball and I will credit the Nuggets actually for having a lot better actions than Golden State. Now that helps that they have an amazing passer who can also score and Jokic running everything. But the stuff that the Nuggets run to get Murray open with more back screening, more screens for him into a handoff. And it also helps that Murray is like has more size, can turn the corner, go to a mid ranger as well, whereas Steph is not really as powerful once he gets the guy on his back. Uh, but the Nuggets uh, off-ball stuff worked much better uh, than the Warriors stuff did against the Lakers. And But Shooter was fantastic. Like, he finally slows Murray down. He misses his first five of the half, or last five of the half. Then Vanderbilt's doing a pretty good job at the start of the, the second. He misses another five in a row. But then the problem is the Lakers can't score because you've got LeBron on the floor, you've got Schroeder on the floor, and now all the pick and rolls, they actually, the Lakers were getting good looks pretty early on 
when they had more of their offensively focused starting lineup out there, like in, in pick and roll, they grow cold. One Schroeder comes in and they're also just gapping off LeBron. Jeff Green in particular, when he was guarding LeBron, did a great job of just LeBron's above the arc and Jeff Green's all the way down at the dotted line, like messing up Anthony Davis, cutting off drives. Like the Lakers want to run all these side pick and rolls with like Austin Reeves and Davis and like Green's uh, way down there messing things up. Uh, they're not guarding Schroeder either. So for the Lakers, like, okay, they have a, a unit, Schroeder on Murray. You still got Davis guarding Gordon. Like that's enough to actually slow the Nuggets down, but then they can't score. And even if the Nuggets, Nuggets aren't getting great shots, they still got really good shot makers on this team who are going to knock enough down that the Nuggets still were mostly in command. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today yeah and for the lakers to swing the part of the possession game so they swung the offensive rebound portion of it and um if you want the the clean the glass version of it um 28 offensive rebound rate versus 16 in favor of the lakers and when you consider how they got housed in game one that's a pretty stark turn of events um but the lakers didn't force any turn didn't force any turnovers it was only five in total for denver and three of those were live ball steals and yeah the Lakers the lakers didn't score particularly they scored all right on those um but it was yeah. a I, I mean if you look at the math things that we look at right no offensive rebounds for denver which you mentioned not getting any shots at the rim not really getting to the free throw line particularly impressively and a, a lot of that came late once the game was pretty much out of reach so there are really only two things that were working great uh, for denver in the end it was making difficult outside shots they had to take 41 threes which is way more than they normally like to because they just weren't getting stuff at the rim and then the, that big thing you mentioned not turning it over and the lakers generally don't force turnovers and i, I would add heads, trans- yeah. i would add transition to that and make it a trio okay sure yeah yeah not, uh although yeah i didn't think that yeah they, they did actually get a bunch of semi-transition even in that third quarter too i mean that because that's the other key stretch we need to talk about i think is just Jokic getting his fourth foul on I, what was a good call by the way a lot of people didn't think so but uh Jokic his leg did clip davis uh and took his legs out front it's a pretty clear foul was that that challenge was uh, overruled and so like all right Jokic is out lebron and ad in like they left those guys in there for most of the the time as well and the nuggets managed to maintain their lead and they managed to maintain it despite some of the great ball pressure work you already brought up shooter and vanderbilt did and and that short circuit things even more remarkably when Jokic is off the floor because you don't really have those other things to turn to yeah because it wasn't murray murray didn't do anything in the third quarter at all instead it was uh that was a big quarter for contavious caldwell pope he hit a couple of really hard shots was overall was three or five from three a couple of big mpj buckets 
And it was also getting some stops. I mean, the Lakers were three of nine from three, 10 to 23 from the field during that. So getting enough offense, getting enough defense. And that to me was the stretch where I'm like, okay, the, the, if, if things, cause in the early part of it, it seemed like every, so many things were going great for Denver, especially Jamal Murray, you know, 30 points in the first half and the Lakers were close. And so you're like, oh, that's, that's trouble for Denver. Then after the third quarter, you're like, oh, they faced some real adversity here. They got through it pretty clean. That's a problem for the Lakers. Then it didn't really fully resolve until midway through the fourth quarter. And one of the other key swings in that fourth quarter to connect with one of the, the storylines in this series is that Aaron Gordon didn't play a single second. And it was Jeff Green instead. Green, I th- as I mentioned, I thought he actually was doing pretty well on defense. And I think, oh, the other reason why it really mattered that Schroeder was on the floor is that Murray was guarding him and the Lakers really couldn't put Murray in the action. Like they had a lot of success with LeBron going at him. They may also have just felt like LeBron just didn't have it with the ankle or whatever. But, uh, you know, you didn't see, they couldn't like go at Murray and like tire him out and get him in foul trouble or anything like that either when he was cooking so badly because Schroeder, you know, isn't really useful uh, as a role man. Uh, and then on the other end, not only is Jeff Green doing a good job as a health defender, which is the first time in my life I've ever said that, LeBron's not really able to cook him one-on-one. And then just even the ability for him to stand in the corner and shoot open corner threes, which he's been doing really well since his Houston days, that was enough, I think, for them to decide once they're down by like you know eight or so to put Anthony Davis back on Jokic. And then Jokic went to this 5-1 pick and roll with Murray that the Lakers didn't have any kind of an answer for either because, you know, Davis is way out on the floor. They get Murray slipping to the rim. He scores a beautiful reverse over Austin Reeves, who you don't really want as like the low man in help defense with Davis on the floor. I don't know why it was that they went back to that. I guess because maybe they're like, all right, we're going down with our best defender on Jokic. Or maybe it was because they felt like Jeff Green in the corner was causing too many problems for Davis just hanging out or whatever. But, uh, uh, that definitely was not the right answer because uh, as noted every single time davis was on Jokic in the series they got killed and they did again gordon also is a part of denver's best defensive lineups but laying off lebron and lebron we can talk about it as being part of the injury or anything else like lebron not exploiting that made it even more realistic and so in this game i always talk about the ratio of lebron's jump shots to paint shots like we'll use that as the shorthand as being a good proxy for the kind of performance he's having in game three lebron takes 11 shots as jumpers makes four of those 11 and then he takes eight shots in the paint and only makes four of those eight. So he's 50%, you know, 50% in one area and below 50 in the other. And it's more jumpers than shots around the basket. And part of that was because they were, they were clogging things up and I mean, he's three and nine from three. You don't necessarily want to fire him away. He had some gorgeous, gorgeous passes in this game and it's jarring to see it. And like the, the idea it came up at times in the Memphis series of like the Lakers winning games and winning series where LeBron James is not their best player. And he's had some great moments overall in the series especially defense in game two but to see an opponent win in part because they were they were bending their scheme to exploit a limitation of lebron james is surreal and both the grizz and the warriors tried to do it it just didn't work (laughs) 
Uh, not even because LeBron was killing them from the outside, although LeBron did shoot pretty well in the Warriors series at times. And despite all this, the Lakers are up 94-93 with 7.48 left. Then this is where having Jeff Green out there really pays off. Jokic gets double teamed in the post and he's able to find someone on the weak side. They uh, Bruce Brown, who swings it to Jeff Green, AD, was hanging out under the basket, was not able to get all the way over there. So Green hits a corner three. Lonnie Walker misses a corner three. Bruce Brown comes right back and makes a three. Nuggets are all of, all of a sudden up five. Lakers timeout. LeBron back in. LeBron throws an incredible alley-oop to AD. And I thought AD got fouled uh, on that play, uh, but we never really saw a replay of it. LeBron was like shooting a fadeaway jumper and like passed it to AD above the rim. And then AD also uh, missed the offensive rebound. And then they come back. And I think this one, yeah, this was, this was the play that I thought was maybe the key shot. Five point Nuggets lead. Dennis Schroeder is guarding Jamal Murray. Bruce Brown has the ball. Jokic is jogging up to the top to set a screen for Bruce Brown on the ball. And Schroeder kind of sees Jokic jogging up there and decides that he's just going to kind of just like step in front of Jokic and like try to fall down and draw a foul. As Jokic is just like jogging up to set a screen completely independent of Schroeder. Schroeder never gets in front of him, flops down, no call. Jamal Murray wide open. Bruce Brown just throws it to him. He hits a three. They're up eight. And that was basically the game. It also like, I mean, at first we thought it was a bad, it was a bad no call against the Lakers. But when you saw it more on the replay, you could see that Schroeder was anticipating it was kind of even bent over in anticipation. It would have been Jokic's fifth foul. And yeah, and I thought I thought that was a great I, I thought live it, I got fooled and the referees didn't. So I'll give them a lot of credit for it. Another storyline or like key element of this game was in the second quarter, Jokic got on the edge of on the edge of foul trouble. He at, at that point had two and basically for the entire rest of the second quarter did not really contest any shots around the basket. And Jokic is not a great help defender. We've criticized him for it a lot in the past, but I appreciated what he does more in absentia because in the second quarter, like he just wasn't like even like getting close to anybody who drove by. And then, you know, he's doing all this effort. And, you know, I always talk about how star players, you know, avoiding foul trouble is extremely valuable. Jokic is doing that. Then he picks up his third in an offensive action. He fouls Austin Reeves and picks up that third foul just at the very, very end of the second quarter. And then that sets up the foul trouble, which shaped the third. Yeah, but in the end, uh, not quite enough. And yeah, the, the Lakers have defended well enough these last two games to win. They just were not able to score well enough. I mean, Bruce Brown just continues to be really good. He, I, and I've noted it's a totally different role for him than the one that he played in Brooklyn, where he's more on ball, particularly in transition. He's been great. And he, he had 15 points again. Like you just don't, that wasn't what I think people were expecting Bruce Brown to do. He had a couple of just like uh, big tip ins as well. The, uh, basically, the only offensive rebounds that the, the Nuggets were getting were through him. Porter Jr., six assists, career high. Mm-hmm. Uh, four of 10 for three, only took one two point field goal, which he missed. Didn't take any non jumpers, but just another guy that you can't leave and they can run some actions for him going to his left and on some of those handoffs every now and again. And really, none of the Lakers' guards, this is another key, key difference from the Golden State series that other than Austin, like Russell and Schroeder have both done absolutely nothing offensively in the series, whereas they were lighting up Golden State. And again, just credit the Nuggets for their strategy of just not guarding guys, packing the paint like crazy. And you can also say if if you're comparing the Nuggets performance to Golden State, 
Well, the Lakers made a ton of shots against Golden State that they're not making in this series. And you can also say that the Nuggets are making a ton of shots that Golden State was getting some pretty good shots too. And like Clay Thompson just couldn't hit any of them. Uh, but like that's the Nuggets have been a great shooting team all season. Like they've been able to continue that. And they have multiple guys who are going to be able to knock down these shots. Murray can get to tough mid rangers as well. And so they just have uh, Jokic. If he, he can get in the post, he's still an amazing passer. They've seen basically every strategy to try to slow them down like yes putting the best defensive player in the world standing under the basket and having the guy he's guarding also standing under the basket wasn't the best but aside from that the like the fact that the nuggets have still been able to overcome that has been pretty impressive uh, and a testament to the amount of talent that they have what else do we need to talk about here i think i'm pretty pretty much out of gas at this point changes that the lakers can make we've brought up the anthony davis on Jokic part of it there are a couple different ways they could get there it could be starting rui hachimura that's presumably the way i would go there um you could also do it through presumably you could you could change con- configure the lineups a little differently and use vando more as a help defender rather than the primary on jamal or you could also start schroeder and do some of that kind of stuff but d'angelo yeah, Russell, I mean, they can't they can't play vando and schroeder together is the problem that that's a good point but that three-pointer in the corner that vando missed might have <laughs> <laughs> that's uh it might have like injured a courtside fan that thing was ugly i don't know what, saw- what else can they do anything uh, that comes to mind i think we've hit on most of it here i mean just one thing because i forgot it we saw very little christian brown in this game he only played three minutes and that was something you and i expected after what happened in game two and the answer was not playing someone else it wasn't naji or watson or chanchar or thomas bryant or reggie jackson it was just play bruce brown and jeff greenmore and that worked out that worked out pretty dang well for the nuggets yeah and i i will definitely credit malone for hitting the right buttons with the like brown or porter jr decision and then also the green versus gordon decision i that's something that we had brought up of like hey should they do this if, since green is a not only is green like i don't think he shot a much better percentage than aaron gordon on corner threes but the thing is like jeff green is out there to shoot a corner three aaron gordon the way he's played all year he's trying to duck in he's trying to get some offensive rebounds he just he doesn't want to just go stand in the corner whereas sometimes you just need to do that you're like they have other guys who can run all the main action sometimes you need someone who's just going to stay out of the way like aaron gordon just doesn't want to do that and so like we didn't even see whether he's going to make any of these corner threes because he's taken what like two over the last two games despite the fact that he's being guarded in this way so yeah all right i think just like someone who actually was just willing to do less on offense and not just like hang around all the time right in the area where it's mucking everything up was pretty useful so yeah i i mean maybe the lakers win game four nuggets drop game four to minnesota in the first round although it was that crazy comeback that almost was they got into overtime and then minnesota won it and you could even see the lakers like playing pretty well in game five but this is an insurmountable lead right like reason i don't think it's a it has to be a four game sweep but it would be stunning for it to be a seven game series much less a win for the lakers well considering it's only happened three times that a 3-0 lead has gotten a seven and of course nobody has ever actually overcome it yeah it seems pretty unlikely it'll happen this time and i'll be interested to see what lebron's effort level is in game nad2 probably in game four where they know they're not gonna win the series i mean is there gonna be like a lot of pride to continue it like lebron definitely as i've said is judicious about his effort and he's never been swept oh yeah he has been swept he's been swept once which was in 2018 i think oh and the 20 2007 uh spurs in the finals i think Mm -hmm. those are the only two times he's been swept and i will say i don't think he was at the same level i you would question them not putting him on Jokic again i 
guess they were just too worried about their offense particularly if they're also going to have a shooter out there if lebron is not going to be able to really be an offensive engine at the end of the game which he was exhausted in game two so i mean that's that's what happens when you're 38 there's there's nobody in the world who can give the type of defensive effort i think that he gave certainly not at 38 like guarding like a post player like Jokic, doing all the switching he was doing running around after everyone and also still be an unbelievable offensive force like there are so few guys in nba history who've been able to do that in the modern era you know maybe you could point to like Kawhi at the end of that series against luka in 2021 i mean they're just are not and like like jimmy he'll be involved sometimes guarding the main guys but he also doesn't have the same type of an offensive role as like peak lebron would controlling everything I, i've been very impressed given his health situation and his age what, what lebron's been able to do in these playoffs like he's I, i've gotten every lakers series that i've picked <laughs> these playoffs wrong i finally came around to them and now they're about to get swept uh yeah this has easily been my worst ever predictions but uh, and hollinger's got it right he was one of the few i think who picked denver to make it to the finals and that, that's going to happen at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today all right mr larue it is time to do some stretching warm up a little bit and make sure that these long disused muscles are, are ready to go talking about the offseason and uh, these brilliant playoffs and all the strategy who cares so boring to the spreadsheets <laughs> yeah, we're going to start it out with a team where there's a lot to discuss, and that is the Philadelphia 76ers. And part of the reason there's a lot to discuss with Philly are they have some high-profile decisions to make, not only in the near term, but also thinking a little bit more broadly. They have the newly minted regular season MVP in Joel Embiid. They also have been eliminated from the playoffs in seven games by the Boston Celtics. And some of the basic elements in play for Philly that, that are important to remember. So if you count in DeAnthony Melton's $8 million, which is partially guaranteed, but I see no reason why they would do anything other than pick that up. Because remember, if partial guarantee, the only way you get out of that is by waiving them. They're not going to waive DeAnthony Melton. It's not like you can yeah. decline it and sign him for a different amount. It's a great great contract at $8 million. Great contract at $8 million. So they're fully guaranteed contracts, not including player options. And Melton, that is a combined $113 million. So that is, in terms of relation to like where the salary cap, where the salary cap is supposed to be, so the current projection is 134. So even if you don't count anything for Harden, for 
House or Harrell or Paul Reed or Jalen McDaniels or Shake Milton or Niang, like they're still like not really like a capped spacey team. Like they could clear a little bit, but not functional space, especially with how big the non-tax pyramid level is right now. So like even if they let everything go, but they're not going to let everything go. And so that's a little bit of context for the decisions that Daryl Morey and ownership have to make. Before we get into the specifics to the Sixers situation, it's important to note again that we have a new CBA and Larry Kuhn and I discussed uh, in more general terms what these new restrictions are going to mean going forward, including the dreaded second apron. But most of those restrictions kick in for 24, 25, things like not being able to send cash, not being able to aggregate players, not being able to use a, a trade exception generated by an outgoing sign and trade, the frozen draft pick. None of that stuff happens until the 24, 25 season, which is fair, right? You A lot of these teams have salaries on the books. The Sixers, if they resign Harden, the second apron could potentially come into play. And certainly the first apron could as well. So there aren't as many restrictions, at least for this one year. Now, of course, when you consider contracts that might be signed this offseason, you have to consider that in future years after this year, you're going to run into some of these issues and the draft pick being frozen, the way the tax goes up, really, once you're above the $10 million mark over the tax, that starts in the 25-26 season. The rest of these restrictions start in 24-25 that we've mentioned so far. Those all are looming in the background, but also are not necessarily a huge part of this year. So what is then, Danny, what are the restrictions that are new that are coming in that apply just to next year with both the first apron, which is going to be about $7 million above the tax, and the second apron, which is going to be $17.5 million above so the tax. So just, just to give people an idea of roughly what this is, so we're talking about $169 million in team salary to hit the, the first apron, because it's 162 is the tax line, and then about about 180. It's a little bit above that, based on the current projections, to hit the um, to hit the second apron. So the two big things that are new for the upcoming season are for every team that is over the first apron. So this is the equivalent of heart of teams that are over the hard cap. Like it's it's the it's just labeled differently, but it's that no team that's over the hard cap can sign a player who has been waived who was making more than the non-tax pyramid level. And so that's roughly 12 million. So if Russell Westbrook gets you know, the equivalent of Russell Westbrook gets waived next year, the equivalent of the Clippers cannot sign. So that's one. The other one is that for teams that are over that second apron, so that's the 17.5 million over about 180 million salary, that you don't get a tax pyramid level at all. They have both, they have weakened the tax pyramid level it's only $5 million, so it's actually less than the room exception now. But you don't get it at all if you're over the second apron. That's going to be true for the whole CBA. Yeah, and, and also worth noting that the taxpayer MLE is now only a two-year deal. Mm-hmm. And the room exception now is increased to $7.6 million. It was, was in the mid-fives before. And now you can go three years on the room exception but you can only go two years on that taxpayer MLE. And there's really only a relatively narrow band in which you can even use the taxpayer MLE. Some teams might do it just to avoid getting hard capped at the first apron by using the full MLE, but there's, it's going to be a lot less 
useful than it was before. Of course, I will note this, that not that many teams really used the three-year taxpayer Emily, and when they did, it almost always was a terrible contract. It didn't work out at all. <laughs> um, but but in any event, so that's kind of what uh, the Sixers are working with. Let's get into their specific situation now, and we'll make the following assumptions. James Harden is going to opt out. That's already been reported. De'Anthony Melton, opt him in to $8 million. Daniel House, player option for 4.3. I think we'll probably opt him in to that. He actually got back in the rotation a little bit in the Celtics series, but didn't have a great year. Not sure how much demand there will be out there for him. And then Montrez Harrell, also $2.7 million, seems like probably going to opt him in to that. He wasn't really playing. I don't know if he's got a, a job out there for next year. So that would give them nine players under contract and have them $37.8 million below the tax. million below that first apron and 55 million below the second apron. If they bring back Harden, I don't really see because you're keep in mind they only have nine players. So even if they fill in uh, with minimums to get up to 14 or 15, I don't see any way they can pay him anywhere close to market value and still have enough room to stay below that first apron. They're probably looking at really being worried about potentially the second apron. Maybe they could sneak in the tax pyramid level to get another player. But in terms of money, if they bring back Harden, you're not looking at much flexibility unless a salary edits are made elsewhere. Before we talk about some of those things, what would you identify as Daryl Morey, assuming you bring back Harden, which, you know, I realize there's some reporting out there that he's not long for this team. He's expected to sign in Houston. Keith Pompey had that. But let's say Harden comes back. What would you consider their primary needs, irrespective of whether there are resources available to actually do anything about it? I wonder a little bit about it because of how little Daniel House played. But ideally, it'd be a player who you respect enough from three that you're going to be guarded, but then also is credible defensively. You know, and honestly, they could be pretty much any size. Like Melton does some of the perimeter stuff, like more perimeter guarding, and they they have PJ Tucker still, but. I would say that's the, you know, just more more bites at that apple, more players that can you can fit alongside Harden and Embiid would probably be the biggest thing. Though, it, of course, if they keep Harden, it'll be hard to have real addition. I said when they brought in Melton, when they brought in Tucker, when they brought in House, although House wasn't as useful in the end, that I thought they had done enough around Joel Embiid and James Harden that if those guys could play well enough, they could really be a contender. And I think even Game 7 showed that was true, like their role play like kept them in the game for a a half there like I think they defended reasonably well it would be hard for me to imagine realistically putting a better supporting cast around those guys however there are some things they could shuffle around the Tobias Harris contract Tobias Harris over me is finally ending this season 39.3 million and potentially could be tradable at that point i'm not sure what kinds of teams would want tobias harris at that number you still would think some kind of a sweetener would need to be in there to move him for something that's going to help you more and now there are these new minimum salary requirements and maybe you could see teams striking out on free agents and being like yeah we'll just take tobias harris sure why not and then maybe maybe even would want to look to re-sign him with bird rights at a better value but maybe that's more of a question if they lose harden and then they really want to get into the cap space game what does philly have to trade if they wanted to make a move in terms of assets so we can start with the draft picks what's available 
available for them to trade once the league year turns over. They have already they already owe their 23 first round pick to the Jazz for this year. But as you said, if we move past that, then that obligation that obligation doesn't count for the stepping rule. Unfortunately, Philly already owes a lightly protected pick to OKC in 25. Um, so that so that pick could be conveyed in 25, 26, or 27. And then they owe a subsequent first round pick to Brooklyn, which is let's call it roughly two years after the other one conveys so we don't know exactly so it is difficult for philadelphia to convey a first round pick i believe so basically the first time they could trade one would be 2030 um based on the protection on that second pick the brooklyn pick uh yeah i mean they they yeah 29 would be potentially the first available draft but we don't know that yeah you could do first you you could do first allowable draft language before that but to for the for the other the trade partner to be sure the pick was going to convey uh yes yeah because that one to brooklyn resolves in full by 28 so yeah only one pick they could give up how are they fixed for seconds not great on their own they forfeited their 23 and 24 and traded their 25 and 26 (sighs) so they're out so they're out until 27 but they do have the knicks in 24 and the blazers in 29 so if another team was interested in either of those yeah second round picks don't seem to have a lot of currency these days they do not and another challenge for philly is that they don't really have much in the way of like young players on interesting salaries under contract that they might not want to keep like they have tyrese maxi but i don't think they want to trade tyrese maxi and we'll we'll talk about his extension negotiations in a bit but you know like Furkan Korkmaz at 5.4 I don't think of him as a sweetener I think of him as a player who could potentially be of interest especially with the new mandatory minimums and all that I don't think another team is falling over themselves to get Jaden Springer who I was actually a little bit surprised that he got that option year picked up so he's a fully guaranteed 2.2 mil for the upcoming season so not a lot of flexibility and like a lot of their other guys are pending free agents of restricted or unrestricted variety and it's significantly harder to get an asset for them uh, so let's talk about Harden then and first off you never know whether it's just a leverage play with Harden or whether he you know everyone all the sources are insisting no he really wants to go back to Houston he really wants to go back to Houston he wants a four-year deal we kind of talked about what would be comfortable spending on him we mentioned they got 37 million below the tax 55 million below the second apron the max contract to radiate for Harden you can only get four years due to his age and the over 38 rule but he could get up to four years, two hundred and ten million. That would start at forty-seven million. So basically, eat up just about all your your space above the second apron, and you you might even not be able to, unless you dump someone like Corkmaz or or House, avoid going over the second apron at least at the beginning of the season. Uh, if you cleanse by the end, then, then that's uh, it. Doesn't really matter for this year because you only have that issue of not being able to use your taxman level. And if you do use your taxman level, then you're hard capped to that second apron. But and then, of course, you run into the issue of Tobias Harris expiring after this year, but then Tyrese Maxey will need a new contract. He'll be at least $30 million a year, you would think, if not more. And so your salary structure is relatively similar going forward. You'd run into those same issues where if you bring back Harden, you know, at something like $40 million a year. Their other problem is that Joel's Supermax extension kicks in this year, so he's making $14 million more than he was before. And then you're really like... Maxi and Bede Harden and guys 
you know, maybe nobody else making more than 10 million uh, to be below the second apron, which is going to be extremely important. I think Daryl Morey in particular is very concerned about flexibility. Like he's not going to want to be hamstrung well, in and that way. We've t- you talked about it with Larry and everything, but like the frozen pick is a real restriction for general managers who value flexibility because you can't unfreeze it for four years, basically. Right. So that's a long, you know, so like once it's done, it's very hard to undo. And that's going to be a real challenge. So yeah, I could, you know, you and I have been critical of the second apron as functioning like a harder cap. And for certain organizations, whether it be because of ownership's willingness to spend or in certain cases, general managers' willingness to be flexible, that's going to be a real limitation. And so for Harden, there are multiple veto players in this, which is a part of why the negotiation is so compelling. One of those is the Sixers. Like he, he could have salary demands that they're uncomfortable paying, especially with how that compounds with Embiid and potentially with Tyrese Maxey. The other veto players are like there is a possibility, you know, kind of like Jeremy Grant in Denver a couple of years ago, where you make an offer that's competitive. You're a better team than the other suitor that's out there. And it's not good enough. And either one of those things could be the reason that a negotiation falls apart. It could be that the Rockets, you know, money doesn't matter as much to them because they have all they have all these guys on rookie scale contracts. Maybe he'd even take like a richer starting point and then let, you know, over shorter years or descending or something like that, time value money. Or it could be a circumstance where, you know, he talked about freedom and all these other things where he gets more latitude there. So there are a lot of ways it can fail. There are a lot of, there is basically one specific way they can succeed. That's just that everybody wants to and they come to agreeable, agreeable terms. And so, so I, I think we've done a pretty good job laying out what Philly can do, you know, what the key players are if Harden resigns, however that happens. And, you know, well, I do want to hit on one more thing of just after this season, if you're going to, because remember, Harden is only make, was only making 33 million last year. Joel was only making 33 million last year. And even if they lose Harris, if you have Harden making over 40 million going into the 24, 25 season, and then Tyrese Maxey is probably going to start at at least 30. That's, you don't have a lot left to make your team and stay below that second apron. And that, that ultimately is what might be scaring Philly off from doing the longer term deal with Harden. Now, Houston, they have nothing on their books other than rookie scale contracts. They don't, not much opportunity cost for them to sign Harden for a couple of years going forward. But for Philly, there is. And if they don't re sign Harden, then maybe you, you're kind of, you can use the mid level for this next year. Maybe you could get off of a little bit of salary and bring in someone who's making like 20 million if you could move on from like Cork Maz and House or something like that and try to field a competitive team. So Similar to the team that they had without Ben Simmons last year before Harden arrived. You might also say, well, hey, what if they keep Harden and they move Maxi? Like that's he's only making four million next year. So you're not really going to be able to bring it at me unless you attach Maxi to Tobias Harris. And somehow that was enough to bring in another star. I don't think it would be. Especially with their lack of picks. Right. Yeah. They, they would have basically one pick that they could include in that trade, that uh, 29 pick that might roll over to 30. So, yeah, this is they're in a really tough spot here. And Joel is starting a, a three plus one deal at the 35 percent max now. And but when people are like, oh, yeah, you know, Joel may be getting traded like they're they're not going to actively look to trade him unless he were to ask out. But they don't have a great path forward here. And Daryl Morey said, I don't know if James leaves, we might have to get creative. And could that be something along the lines of a free agent wanting to come to Philly? If Harden leaves, they won't have any issues with the first apron so they could actually receive a guy in a sign trade. Maybe Harris 
is the outgoing salary there. They throw in there first just to give the team that's sending the guy out something. As I scroll through the free agents here, and there really isn't anyone you would look at, I mean, other than like Kyrie Irving, frankly, and Dallas probably wouldn't be participating in a sign and trade there. You know, Chris Middleton, he's got the same problems as Harden, basically, from an age perspective. Well, and he would be yeah. committing to a Philly team that isn't necessarily better, if at all better, than the Bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Or Je- Jeremy Grant, or like, like there, there aren't really many guys out there that you could just like bring in in a in, well, in and free agency and a sign and trade to replace Harden. I want to lay out one other scenario, and that's okay. it's hard for Philly to do. I, you brought up the stuff they could do in 23 if Harden leaves. There would be some options in 24 because that's when Harris's yeah. contract expires. Maxi, if you don't agree to an extension, and boy, is there so you're transferring a lot of risk to him. That is, according to some, the original source of frustration between Kawhi Leonard and the Spurs. So you, you do have those things but that's years down the road. Philly could really bring in, it would be easier for them to bring in a difference maker, probably not a max level guy, but like a high, you know, like a next level down guy in 24. But there are two problems with that. One, you need that player to sign on the dotted line and it'd be hard because of their lack of assets to do it via sign and trade. And you, so like there are going to be a lot of other options. And that means you're in many ways punting on one year of Joel Embiid's prime, which who knows if Joel Embiid is, is right. cool with that. But there are some juicy players depending on how you want to see it. Like, OG Ananobi or Pascal Siakam, like players like that who who move the needle more than the 23 free agents, but you're making a real sacrifice to get to 24 while maintaining flexibility. Yeah, and this is also a, a big opportunity for this season when Tyrese Maxey is only making $4 million. He's going to need a new contract after this. And to be able to build a team with Tyrese Maxey, Tobias Harris is a good player still. If, if Harden leaves, they just they need him from a creation standpoint. But it's also hard to see how this team is a championship contender without Harden. And yeah, so, so they're in a really interesting spot. And oh, I, uh, there's yeah. one more other thing to mention. And I don't know what they would throw to Houston to make this happen, but structuring it as a sign in trade so they get a huge trade exception. Yeah. And you potentially even fold in the other acquisition as a part of it. So you don't even acquire the trade. Ex- I mean, technically speaking, you do, but you you make it all one deal. So player X who is not a free agent makes anywhere between like a low salary and what Harden makes will make on his new contract. Cause you don't have to worry about base year compensation or anything like that. Like that would be another way to potentially add somebody. And in that circumstance, the other thing that opens up there is a potentially negative value or less positive contract. And so that way you could get a player who doesn't require as many assets, but might actually be a good player for you because of the threshold we were talking about with replacing Harden. Now, maybe it- if you're going to bring back Harden, you think, okay, like if we only go three years, that's a tradable deal when Maxi gets his new deal. Like we'll still have some flexibility there. If you go to the fourth year, then it starts to get just at a point where it might be impossible to move. But Daryl, especially if Harden leaves, I mean, he's, it's just going to take so much creativity to get a team that's as good as what they had this year in theory, which ultimately wasn't good enough. Although I still, a lot of that is matchup based, right? Like if they'd gone up against Milwaukee, Shit, if they'd gotten to the finals and played Denver, I actually would have liked the way they matched up uh, against Denver. But this is that's that's not what happened. They lost. Uh, it was ugly. They're looking for a new coach. I guess we <laughs> we didn't even mention that. I guess we, we, a lot of the usual names are are out there. I mean, is there anyone? 
coach wise i mean is nick nurse is that the guy you would be most interested in for them that's available like they're talking monty williams i'm not interested in monty williams if i'm them because their big problem has been like these kind of emotional collapses which monty williams has also presided over i like nurse best on a deep team with a lot of defensive flexibility creativity there isn't a lot of defensive creativity maybe there's more than we think with Eh, melton if house if they keep him around uh, but like Embiid isn't scheme versatile you could do the robert williams thing of having him you know have him guard a non-threat like you could they could do more of that philly did do that at some times to actually pretty good effect um but like including against denver incidentally in that matchup which may have firmed up joel Embiid's mvp but there isn't as much there and it also like i mean i think offensive creativity would be a, a fun thing for them but i don't know how much that sort of like a whether you want to go as far as d'antoni or somebody else would really change things for them because their offense at when when their guys were available was pretty good yeah one other thing i think you might look at with them you know maybe you could say like fred van vliet would be someone that, that they could try to bring in in this scenario we're talking about uh although the the issue with getting a big trade exception for harden and not cutting other salaries that then you also run into the first apron there they would still to get a, a guy in a sign and trade just to replace harden at similar salary to him they would have to cut elsewhere to fit under the first apron that would probably be through harris i have That's a cheaper player do you want me to just mention one name to throw out there if this happens of course terry rosier oh yeah in a trade yeah because he yeah, doesn't make as much so small in the backcourt would be but he yeah. doesn't make as much and charlotte especially if they end up drafting scoot they might not need him as much so that might be a circumstance where you're kind of scratch my back i'll scratch yours doesn't cost a ton in the way of assets the other thing they maybe could go into is trying to find more of a bomber type to juice the offense not the same type of player as harden but just to give you they need will need more diversity and they've never had like a great they were a really good shooting team but they've never had like that great movement shooter so maybe max struce is only well, sense, look sense, at. you mean sense, sense reddick yeah yeah i guess it's been a while yeah. I, yeah I guess i was thinking about uh yeah i guess he left in 19 so um you know maybe a gary trent jr or a jordan clarkson would just be someone you could bring in that would have enough juice off the dribble to like just give you one other place to attack offensively and you know, not going to duplicate what Harden gave you but at least like now there's more shooting around Embiid you can kind of go more the you know the Houston Elijah approach around Embiid with great shooting I think that's about it on these guys so it's uh probably as deep as we can go in this format yeah and I mean we'll talk about Maxi's extension in other places but the idea that I had about 24 like that creates strain in a player team negotiation there could be incentive to do it but and it also could be that the sides are just too far apart especially with the salary cap rising that's actually the one other cba element that i wanted to bring up is that the salary cap will not rise more than 10 percent in any given year it's also not going to drop but it's but so what that means is a spike isn't coming and 10 percent of 134 million is a lot so like we could see some significant rises but it's not going to be like 20 or 30 million or something and that would be important for philly because that would theoretically really save them in terms of those most expensive costs at bet365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at bet365 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.
Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today okay well let's uh, get to another team <laughs> that is also in a very difficult financial situation wasn't good enough in the second round of the playoffs that is the golden state warriors and we've been talking for many a year about the financial apocalypse that awaits them in this season and that's because jordan Poole kicks in at 28.7 million dollars the season some of that may go down a little bit because there's likely unlikely as far as like making the conference finals nba finals he didn't make so that that'll go down a little bit but the warriors are more concerned about just what the actual payment is going to end up being when well, I, so, I, I have a place to set this table it helps that i just yeah. wrote that piece for the athletic with oh, great, yeah. is that i brought up 180 million as like that's the second roughly the second apron line and you're like oh that's a lot of money and it is when you count the warriors fully guaranteed players the non-options and the 19th pick in the 23 draft which they have that all those together is roughly 180 million so that means the warriors are at the second apron with zero dollars for Draymond Green, Dante DiVincenzo, and if they wanted to retain Lamb, Anthony Lamb or Ty Jerome. So they're at this like the high bar without even keeping things close to the same team that they had. Like that would be that would be a significantly worse Warriors team and it would still be prohibitively expensive. Let's talk about Draymond Green first here. And there's a possibility he could opt into that 27 million. Maybe they end up retaining him on a longer term deal for slightly less than that, as they did with Andrew Wiggins. It seems like it's pretty much assumed that he's going to be back. I don't know if they've negotiated that already, but Steve Kerr basically said we're not a championship contender without him. There has been discussion that other teams might be interested in green. I'm not sure who those, you know, is it Detroit trying to take a step forward? Like, does he really want to go play in Detroit, uh, rejoin his old buddy James Wiseman over there and play with no spacing? He he would help their defense. He would help any team's defense, but it's just... this is like the place where he fits the best. Well, and and the biggest problem for Green in many ways in in this class is that if if he wanted to be a difference maker on a very good team, it's the wrong group of teams that have cap space. Like, yes, there is a scenario where the Lakers cut everyone and, and have a lot of cap space, and then he'd be playing next to LeBron Nitty. Also, there'd be some issues there in terms of front court rotation. But mostly the teams that have space this year, it's more in the line of like the Spurs and the Thunder. Like the Spurs are in the early stages they did get the pick that can become one Banyama and the thunder who are an exciting young team but aren't there like draymond green does not make them a championship contender he makes he would make them a much better team and so yeah he's not interested in going there they're not interested in having him exactly so so the the options for him it's either first of all we don't know who would give him the kind of money should he be prioritizing that but he can't have his cake and eat it too any with anyone other than the warriors because those circumstances just don't really exist. And in maybe certain circumstances, a sign and trade could be on the table. But 
a those teams, you know, that that hard caps you and, and there aren't as many suitors. And also, we don't know how willing the Warriors would be to play ball with that. Yeah, something along the lines of like three years, 75 million seems about right to me. And this is kind of not entirely, but a mostly a one year deal because Clay Thompson is making 43 million and he's not going to make anywhere close to that after this year. So that that's a, and I don't think they're going to trade Clay Thompson. I don't think there would be a market for him. He also has his trade bonus, a uh, 15% trade bonus on, on that deal as well. But oh, well, just to yeah. just to give people an idea of that, um, I, I worked out because I did some prognostications beyond this season when I was working on that piece with Kawakami and the shorthand that I developed, like the basic understanding was that if so, this is kind of the number to keep in mind. So this is for 24-25 that it, you could think about it that Poole, Thompson and Green, if they combined make 68 million or less in 24-25, they, sh- they might be OK with the second apron and Poole's already making 31. So that means under that logic, Thompson and Green would need to combine for 60 would need to combine for 37 million or less in order to make it work or you have to you know either you go over the second apron or you have to make some cuts and um so that's it it's, it's a good way of thinking about it kind of from a holistic standpoint now we don't know how much Draymond's going to take we don't know what clay thompson would be willing to do which could also happen via an extension should the sides be willing to do it so that's something to it's it's, it's a number to keep in mind yeah and it's hard to imagine that they would go over the second apron in 24 25 unless this team is just like an awesome championship contender if they win it in 24 get to the finals you know hard fought loss in the conference finals type of thing i my guess is actually that clay is not going to get done unless it's for like a crazy discount and i think he's going to look back at his season and think that he can do better than that and maybe the warriors will say all right great i hope you do and we'll pay you if you do if not we're not going to go there but it, it seems like it just it has to be a pool trade at this point i i don't see how else they can get out of this financial pickle but we're also talking about having to upgrade the roster like if they move on from pool they already had this huge issue with not enough diversity in ways to attack part of that was because clay and pool were terrible in that lakers series and through large swaths even to that king series that stuff kind of single-handedly roped them through in the end but like jordan pool does serve an important function on this team and so they'll have to figure out a way to replace that if he what was that number again for 24 25 that they have six, below six, the second apron roughly 68 million and pools yeah. making 31 right so that's with draymond pool and clay you're opting in like gary payton into his his yeah, and deal looney. and looney and, 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 and kaminga it was and just a really yeah. preliminary just like game in yeah. and out no i got you i got you i just wanted to know what the assumptions were and i mean they also like the, joe lacob has already said that this team is going to be like he's not necessarily willing to go to this 400 million dollar range which is exactly where uh right now if they keep draymond at 27 million then it's 450 million in team salary plus repeater tax the new tax number as we said in the opening those don't kick in until 25 26 when presumably things will be much different now could they cut elsewhere along the market right Uh, would they move gary payton the second would they try to move on from kaminga like you don't you're not going to trade kaminga presumably unless you're getting a guy who's making a lot of money uh, as well Uh, i mean can you package pool and kaminga and get back 
something that is better than those guys and also makes less but then that guy you know, i think it seems like though they, they need like more another versatile wing but then they're gonna be light again uh, on offensive creation so then they have to just find someone on the cheap to do that but then that guy's not going to be able to defend i think like so much of uh, when i think about this team goes back to they got to just get more out of these guys Right. They mm-hmm. got to get more out of Moses Moody. They got to get more out of Kaminga. Like, have Kaminga actually making $6 million actually fulfill that wing role? And I mean, is it possible that they just go into next season with Poole still there and sure. Draymond on, on a new deal or Draymond opted in and then they just try to figure it out at the deadline or, you know, maybe Peyton gets injured and they can pay off to, to move off of him? I mean, they, what do they have in terms of picks that they can trade as sweeteners? Again, the story isn't super positive because. Because the Warriors, that first round pick that they traded to Memphis to offload Andre Guadalla's contract, that's finally coming home to roost in either 24 if it's outside of the top four, and then it's like it's what top one protected in 25, unprotected in 26. They do not owe any firsts beyond that. So that, and I would assume that teams would be reasonably confident that Warriors pick would convey in 24. So then first allowable draft language would be 26. And you, so in order to trade two firsts, it would have to be, you know, first allowable draft language, but you could theoretically do it. They're well, white so on they seven. could they could actually trade four picks because they could trade this 23 first whoever it is after the draft once it's made right and then you know 24 and 25 are probably locked up due to the stepping rule but then you could do 26 28 and 30 in yeah. theory you know maybe you, you just get the, the team wouldn't be sure that they would get all of them but they could be they'd have some comfort then it'd have to be unprotected which would be wild yeah so that uh, I, and now then you throw pool and Kaminga in does that get you like a star star to come in with these guys we don't know who might become available there uh but they do they certainly have the assets even if you'd say all right pool's a negative contract and we're trading him in his nadir and and teams aren't gonna want like they have the assets to just get off a pool and maybe even get back something that's semi-reasonable i mean one of the things that occurred to me although they already have colin sexton who's on a better contract and pretty similar to pool would be you know moving pool to utah and getting back jordan clarkson or something like that now that clarkson would have to opt in they are way over the first apron so they can't get a guy in a sign and trade but a deal like that where you move pool just get a kind of score type who's on a shorter cheaper contract but can hopefully give you a little something as a third guard and uh you know frankly given what pool gave him in the playoffs it wouldn't take much to exceed his production but maybe they also say hey we just we gotta like jordan pool just needs to be better we think he can be better and we're just gonna like roll with him and then hey maybe we'll trade him at the deadline if we have to but i guess the other issue then danny is if you want to get your salary down you really especially under this new regime now where the minimum salary like you're not going to have teams going into the season with like 30 million in cap space and me like i don't think there's going to be anyone rolling in with like a 28 million dollar trade exception so if you want to like significantly get your salary down you probably need to do it in the off season and so i don't know if they're just get just moving pool and significantly reducing your team salary that would be tough what if the, is there I, anywhere I, else just they quickly could, yeah, i hadn't thought about it the chronology of transactions like you you're completely right that the calendar of shedding salary now is completely different like it basically has to happen by october um by now october. yeah it should be noted though that if they wanted to just move on from gary payton the second for nothing that would actually get them down to 382 million dollars and that's 
in theory, something that Joe Lyko would be willing to pay uh, that, that would save them $70 million in tax and salary to just dump $9 million of Gary Payton the second. Now, of course, they also wouldn't have DiVincenzo necessarily either. I, we could talk about him briefly. What do you foresee his market being? Because the most the Warriors could give him would be $5.4 million. You know, maybe I, I presumably that would be another one plus one. I I like DiVincenzo. We talked about him in the shooting guard. So I think he actually could be like a budget starting shooting guard option for some of these teams. And I, I would think that his market would be around the mid-level the way he played this year. But maybe that's just not going to be true. I think that teams should consider him around the non-taxpayer mid-level. That's 12.2. Um it wouldn't surprise me if he was some. So the room exception is 7.6 and then that 12.2. And depending on who has it available, it could also be through cap space. Like it doesn't have to be with one of those teams. Something in the 7 to 12 million range seems very reasonable. And DiVincenzo, I could see considering like his pathway to this point, totally justified for him to prioritize financial security. You know, if you can get you can get that lined up, he probably thought he was going to have that after his rookie scale deal when remember he was starting on the Bucks the year they won the championship, but then he got hurt yeah. and missed the yeah, most I think of the people playoff. were people were talking about him being, you know, making something in the high teens. Exactly. And so that, you know, if I were a team that needed our depth, then especially if you can get it somebody who is probably best as a third guard, but has second has starting upside. Like if you could get that for 12 million with where the cap is going, you like you jump on that stuff. And so, there are a number of different teams. Like there aren't that many franchises that are going to have the full non-taxpayer available, like for sure. But I'm going to give a team that probably people aren't really thinking of. But if Toronto lets Gary Payton, Gary, sorry, Gary Trent Jr. Um, go, DiVincenzo is kind of like a versatile guy who could fit in a couple slots. I think he'd be a good fit for them. Yeah, we just don't know what's going to happen with some of these teams either uh, as as we go back to the idea of like how they could improve this team i mean i think a pool kaminga and up to four first round picks including 19 in this year's draft like that's a pretty powerful package it's just it's not clear what's going to be available and would that be you know we know that they tried to get og ananobi i don't know how how extensive that was at last year's trade deadline would is that something that they would want to go after and maybe save a little bit money if toronto just loses fred van fleet would they want to try to get someone like pascal siakam and just like play him next to draymond is that something they that they would consider uh i mean i think they're something is going to happen like this i i'm predicting this is going to be a wild off season and i think that it was floated for example like a drew holiday trade and I, don't, I don't think that that's you know pool for holiday is something that milwaukee would be too interested in but now if you threw in like Kaminga and pool and some picks or something like that would that get it there i still probably don't think so uh they're just uh, it seems like miami is going to be trying to cut salary there are uh, how hilarious it would be if it was like pool for tyler hero um but all right i'm starting to just spitball here a little bit too much well, I, th- I think your idea going back to an, an earlier concept of hoping that their existing players do better that also ties in with the general optimism that front offices feel and whether it is bob myers making those decisions or somebody else which i presume would be mike dunleavy if that's the way if if myers isn't there i think it's going to be an in-house replacement um so moody kaminga healthier gary payton the second like that those sorts of those sorts of things and then if you have to make an adjustment so like you're making the financial decision in the offseason because it's too hard to make that change after but you're making the personnel evaluation you could incorporate what happens in the season a little bit more aggressively yeah and a lot just comes down to what joe lake 
is willing to pay. If he's okay in the 380 million, then maybe they're like, all right, we'll just, we could just move on from Gary Payton if we have to. But it seems like they brought Payton back to have him be part of the team going forward, too. And of course, the Draymond thing, who knows what, what he's going to sign for if he ends up like, I mean, I don't think he would take something less than 25. And I'm sure also he knows exactly what Jordan Poole is making and doesn't mm-hmm. want to make too much less than him, if less than him at all. But it does seem like there's been a feeling that the two timeline thing hasn't worked and they just have to do everything they can to just keep this going with staff and they'll just kind of deal with the consequences of it later to some degree and maybe joe lake will note that a with clay making the 43 and that's going to come down significantly i'll just suck it up and deal with it and yeah because there's just these two components of needing to get better offensively also probably needing to get better defensively at the guard position like those lakers guards who aren't even that great completely cooked them so a lot of that is through jordan Poole. jordan Poole is their biggest defensive problem and probably their biggest offensive problem too are they gonna just hope that he gets better or are they gonna really be aggressive with that salary slot and try to improve and either get back to the same level of defensive versatility that they had in the past or just get one more score who's really awesome and it's because they really like the other thing is the regular season too like they desperately needed what jordan Poole gave them in the regular season like they managed to go 500 without stuff and he was solid enough in those times so if they move on from pool they got to find a way to replace him and it just it seems weird to me that you would say that this team that's this old would be like hey we just you know just rely on internal improvement we think all these guys could be better next year but maybe that that is the best like okay maybe we're just gonna say clay thompson isn't gonna go three and 19 in our final game of the season next year and that's the way our team's built we just gotta rely on that entirely anything else on these guys yeah i think we're good okay well that will do it we'll be back later tonight uh, with playback for game three of miami and boston and of course the pod at to that and we'll be getting into uh, these off seasons very shortly here talk to y'all soon hope you enjoyed that free episode of dunk Down. if you want more of this coverage the the playoff coverage the off season coverage and my daily dunk seth partnow's written analysis monthly chats on discord with nate danny seth and myself if you want access to this core community lots of great conversations happening there every day our salary cap sheets all of that you can get by subscribing to Dunked On Prime. That's dunkedon.supportingcast.fm. Dunkedon.supportingcast.fm. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.